0: This is a podcast from the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at UNSW. For more information, go to www.caldorcentre.unsw.edu.au. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Jane McAdam, and I'm the Director of the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law here at UNSW. And it's my very great pleasure to be able to welcome David Lubel to talk to us today. Before I introduce David, I'd of course like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which we meet, the Gadigal people of the AORI nation, and acknowledge their owners past and present. David LaBelle is the founder of Welcoming America, and has been executive director of that organization since October 2009. Welcoming America is an organization that seeks to inspire people to build different kinds of communities. Inclusive communities that embrace immigrants and migrants, and which foster and refugees, and which foster uh, inclusion and opportunity for all. Welcoming America is leading a movement of inclusive communities across the United States, and shows how communities themselves can become more prosperous by making everybody who, feels there, who lives there feel like they belong. It connects a broad network of nonprofit organizations local governments, so that together they can support people to develop plans, programs and policies that transform communities into vibrant places where people respect each other and where everybody's talents can be valued and cultivated. David's award-winning concept has gained recognition both nationally and internationally. In 2014, the UN Alliance of Civilizations and the BMW Group named Welcome recipients worldwide of the intercultural innovation League. this was to honor welcoming America's work in promoting intercultural understanding the White House has also honored Welcoming America and 10 of its leaders as White House Welcoming America champions of change for their innovations in the area of integration Welcoming America partners with the White House for its building welcoming David has a Master's in Public Administration from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government where he was a Reynolds Social Entrepreneurship developer. David also holds a Bachelor of Arts in History and received a certificate in Nonprofit Management. And in 2015, David was honoured by the World Economic Forum as a Young Global Leader. So David, we are really excited to hear from you today. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. And Jane,
2: thank you. Jane is also a young global leader. Uh, like our tour, we like so We met. We met uh, just a few months ago uh, in, in Davos, actually. Um, and we talked about coming to Australia. And now here, here I am. So um, thank you for welcoming me. Um, I also want to thank um, the Caldor Center in general, including Francis, uh, who, who makes all this uh, make it makes it all happen. Um, I also want to thank the, the Caldoers who are here, um, so thank you to, to you for supporting this. Um, and I have two special guests that, uh, later on in the, uh, I will introduce them later on, but they're just going to um, try to give a little bit of the – a little bit more of the Australian context um, for, for this, but I will also give Australian context. So um, the organization, as Jane talked about, that I work for is the um, – is Welcoming America. Um, and Jane already described what, uh, basically what we do. What, what that means, though, um, we, we like to, to, to be aspirational and talk about what we like to see in communities, which is inclusive places where everybody feels like they belong and are reaching their full potential. Um, but, but also, a, a welcoming community to us is, um, is not just a place that, um, that likes immigrants, although that's part of it, or refugees, or asylees, or there's lots of definitions that um, I've heard since I got here. Um, But it's about a culture of welcome, um, and it's also about uh, welcoming institutions. Um, And so I'll talk more about that, but just just so you know, um, we work in about 100 plus communities in the United States, helping them them do that. And I was asked to come to uh, Australia by the um, the, uh, Scanlon Foundation, uh, who's starting a project uh, called Welcoming Cities in Australia, um, which is based a lot on the work that we do in the United States Um, and that they're working with an organization called Welcome to Australia to help make that happen. Um, So that's uh, that's just a little bit of background. Um, One thing I said, we had a a symposium in Melbourne uh, a little while back, and one thing I said at the symposium um, was that uh, it's important for us coming from another country here to say that we're not here, and we have a model that we've developed um, for uh, immigrant and refugee integration in communities, but it was developed by you know, trial and error and, and it's not that everything's relevant or that we know everything, but we do have some ideas and lessons that we can share. Um, and a lot of the people that uh, you know, I've been on, on this trip, I've been to uh, Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and seen the kind of work that they do around integrating refugees locally. I've even been to Bindigo and Shepparton and Hume. I've been all over the, 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 uh, um, the folks at Scanlon uh, definitely took me for <laughs> a spin around, around the east part of this beautiful country. Um, but but yeah, the, that's all to say that there's a lot of amazing work happening on the local level um, around uh, immigrant and refugee or migrant and refugee integration here. And so I look forward to sharing a lot of the lessons that we're doing uh, with our groups in the United States. Um, so now I'm going to tell you a story. Um, everybody likes stories. I like stories. Um, this is a story of how the, the welcoming work began. Um, and I'm telling you the, the story to um, provide a little context. It might not seem right away like there's relevance. Uh, we don't have quite as much anti-migrant uh, sentiment, I would say, here. Um, and of course, everybody's asking me about Donald Trump, so you can ask me about Donald Trump, too, um, if you want later. Um, but, but we were in a time, actually, of, of um, particular um, backlash against migrants in a, in a part of the country um, in, the, um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I was living in a place called, uh, well, Nashville. I bet most of you have heard of it, country music capital. Um, Music City, USA, Um, and uh, Nashville in the uh, the late 90s had a large influx of migrants from uh, economic migrants from largely from Mexico and Latin America, um, but also uh, a large number of refugees, refugees from uh, Northern Iraq, uh, Kurdish refugees, and from Somalia and Sudan and all over the world. Um, And so it was very rapid uh, change um, and there was a backlash, uh, unfortunately, that took place uh, in, in the early 2000s. Um, September 11th uh, did not help with that backlash. There were other incidents that took place, small incidents um, that, that kind of raised fear even more. There was a, there was a drunk driving accident where a, a, a Mexican um, Mexican migrant um, killed a couple in a drunk driving accident. That, that sort of raised fear even more. Um, and uh, then, an English only referendum was introduced into the city council by some uh, politicians who were starting to see that they could get some uh, traction with this. Uh, sort of um, saw that they could advance themselves politically by, by uh, sort of peddling fear. Um, and so that referendum happened. And then a mosque was burnt down to the ground in a community right near Nashville. And this was all part of this um, growing of sentiment. And here's a. Uh, Nashville in, uh, in that during that period, uh, early to early to mid 2000s, uh, the Nation is a magazine, and a picture of the mosque, uh, horrible incident. Um, it was a hate crime, um, but Nashville uh, was named the epicenter of the anti-immigrant movement in the United States and, and, uh, by this magazine, by the by the, the Nation. And I was living there. I was running an organization called the Tennessee Immigrant Retro Rights Coalition, and I kind of agreed with them. It was not it was not so good. Um, but the, the, there's, a, there's a happy ending, I'm happy to say. And so I, um, during this time, uh, made a realization. Um, and the realization was that my organization and other organizations in, in uh, Nashville uh, were not, like sort of, we weren't addressing the root cause of some of the problems, of some of the backlash. So we were, um, if you think of uh, migrants as seeds being put, or a refugee, immigrant, uh, anybody from somewhere else, a newcomer, into a garden, um, you know, we were pouring a lot of water on the sea. Um, so English classes, job training, uh, the things that you would do when you wanna make sure you know someone's coming to your community and make sure they're successful, get them a house or get them housing. Um, and, and so, but what we weren't doing was focusing on the soil. Um, the soil was pretty barren and um, there was nobody uh, addressing that. So you, you, you have to address help. Uh, what we found is that you have to help um, Newcomers adjust, but you also have to help people who are already there adjust to the changes as well. Nobody was doing that, um, and so that was that was a big problem. Um, and so we del- we developed a, um, a a method to try to change that, um, and the method was uh, pretty simple, um, but it was focused on the soil. Um, it was a method that involved um, contact, uh, so bringing uh, immigrants, refugees. Uh, together with their neighbors uh, that that reduced a lot of fear and we you know mobilized hundreds of volunteers across Nashville um, to do that um, and you know you, you, when people started to have these conversations in communities you could see the fear kind of turn off in their in their eyes and like a more of a happy light come on um, when they saw oh, this person <coughs> actually shared my values and it's not like what I was hearing on the news this is a person who's, you know wants the best for their community like I do um, and so that was that was important. Um, and doing that at, at scale, even though it was in church basements and community centers, we did it everywhere um, because we had to. Um, and then the next part was around uh, communication. Um, so I, I, we don't have. I've, I've, I've opted for having lights so we can see each other versus like being able to see every single detail of the slide. Um, so sorry if we can't see it that well. That's that's a group. Um, that was together in you know one of the community conversations that was taking place. Another piece that we developed was um, you can turn it off for now if you'd like. Um, we'll turn it back on later um, mm-hmm. just for these. Um, so this is uh, this is just a community conversation taking place. Um, we also developed messages um, because a lot of in, in Nashville and this happens in a lot of places. Um, it, it's not natural uh, people who come. The 99.9% of the, the newcomer community that's trying to make a better life for themselves, for their family, and for their new communities—they're not telling their story to the rest of the community. They're just living their lives, and so people tend to hear about the 0.001% of the community that might make their way to the nightly news, or the, you know, not not the people who are representative of the full community. And it, it creates this this false image of what what people are like. And so um, these are billboards, actually not from Nashville, but as we as we've grown. Um, we've developed messages that, uh, with our local communities. Um, a lot of different billboards and, and a lot of different types of social media advertising. Um, and we work with the local media too. Every possible way that you can, you can get these positive messages out, we use. Just um, some examples. Um, and so, uh, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. I don't want to give away the ending. Um, so anyway, in, in Nashville, um, after a lot of work um, and a lot of effort, um, we did change the climate, we did change the soil. Um, basically, uh, we, we knew that we were making a lot of progress because um, in, in 2009, there was a vote on that English only referendum that I talked about making, would have made it Nashville, you know, only English for government services, it's, it's, it's a bad, I mean, symbolically everything else would have been bad for, for Nashville. But Nashville said, no, we're, we're a welcoming city, and, and um, they, they voted. The, the people of Nashville voted uh, overwhelmingly against the referendum and for being a welcoming city. And so we knew that the work we were doing was having traction, was making a difference. Um, and so we kept moving forward, um, and we kept trying to uh, push the envelope. And this is when, this is where it gets even more relevant for Australia, in my opinion. What, what, what we, what we realized um, was that we could, we could expand our definition of welcoming. We could expand it to mean not just. That we created a more welcoming culture, but how can we create, again, I mentioned this at the beginning, but how can we create institutions um, that were welcoming? Um, and so, you know, if you think of uh, an immigrant or a refugee coming to Nashville, we thought about everything. You know, like if you're a business, if you are entrepreneurial by nature, but it's really hard to start a business in Nashville because of the linguistic barriers or because just of the red tape in general, um, that's that's lost opportunity for all of Nashville. And so we worked to create a plan, and this is what often doesn't happen in local communities. Um, often local communities will plan for recycling, or plan for um, you know, biking, but, but, but planning for people is less common. Um, and so Nashville started to plan for people and think about, okay, if someone's arriving, how do we reduce all the barriers? And it wasn't just the city, we had all the sectors, we had the business community, we had the religious community, the you know, labor, everybody at the table to come up with a plan for how Nashville could become really the most welcoming city in the region. Um, And over time, it it, it gained the reputation of being that. And as these policies were put into place, as the community started to embrace this idea, um, Nashville became um, really one of the most welcoming cities in the country and definitely the most welcoming city in the southeast region. And this is where the second big uh, light bulb came off. The first big light bulb was a seed in the soil thing that I talked about before. Second big light bulb was that it actually benefited everybody. So I was doing this work. You know, I, I, li- I lived in Ecuador after college. Um, I was welcomed by a family there. Um, I learned Spanish. I uh, had a very positive experience. Um, and when I came back to the United States, I, I, I saw an unwelcoming. I was in Tennessee. And I, I saw an unwelcoming uh, reception that that made me ashamed and and it just wasn't. I wasn't willing to accept that. Um, but what happened was I was trying to help, and we were all trying to help um, migrants, refugees, but it actually ended up helping the whole city um, economically as well as socially. Um, and so, uh, and this economic frame is something that's been resonating in some of the, with some of the communities that we've talked to um, in Australia. But it's the idea that, okay, Nashville uh, actually has a competitive advantage when they're welcoming. So corporations, when they're trying to de- decide, decide where they're going to resettle in say they're choosing the southeast to, to, to um, op- operate their business. Um, they want their employees to feel welcome. Nissan had moved their headquarters, domestic headquarters to Nashville. They want the spouses of people who are working for them and the kids of the people who are working for them and them, the employees, to feel welcome. They need they the best people, and, and so um, companies started choosing Nashville. Um, and talented people, uh, international people from around the world also um, were preferring Nashville to other uh, southern cities. Um, And then also uh, immigrant entrepreneurs themselves uh, in Nashville or other, you know, just people in Nashville were were thriving, newcomers who weren't necessarily thriving as much before when they didn't feel welcome and the institutions weren't welcome. And so uh, today, uh, small businesses uh, in Nashville, 30% of small businesses are owned by uh, immigrants and refugees, uh, which is a huge growth from what it was before. and Nashville, from in 2013, Nashville had the fastest job growth of any city in the country.
1: Um,
2: and ever since, it's been, um, you know, ever since then, it's been in the top five, six, or seven cities in the country for job growth. Um, so there's something there. And and we've done, uh, you know, polling of the business community in Nashville, and they feel like this: the welcoming immigrants played an important role. They're not saying it's the only thing, but it played an important role in Nashville's economic renaissance, as well as its social renaissance, as well as being a more united city, it gained economically as well. Um, uh, that, that was when the English only failed, I got, I got that myself. So this is um, just just some s- surveying we did of the business community and other uh, leaders in Nashville. Um, so um, this is over 80% believe immigrants can help Nashville reach a more global audience. That's another side effect of being welcoming. If you have diversity in your community from around the world and they feel welcome, they're more likely to help you make business connections in the, in the countries where they're from and Nashville's really seen that help its um, international trade, um, and so and yeah, innovation, productivity. Uh, I talked about entrepreneurship, um, and then this is the, we saw the headline from that other magazine before. This is a better headline. Um, this is uh, you know this is the new story of Nashville um, as being a, as being a model for the country, um, and, and we turned it around using these these methods. Um, and uh, one other sign that things were going well, President Obama. Um, came to Nashville to make a speech uh, about it being a model of of, uh, integration for the country. Um, And he flew me on his airplane, um, Air Force One, to to go, we we went together. Um, Truly, some people don't believe me, but it's true. (laughs) Um, So that was uh, a special moment for for the movement that we were trying to build. Um, And so, uh, you know, what our our strategy is, and again, there's a lot of things that we believe are relevant uh, some guest speakers will help uh, talk about the relevance to Australia. Um, but one thing that's interesting in the United States that I believe will happen here as well um, is, is this idea of a, of a, uh, you know, a competition, uh, we call it a race to the top. Um, I've noticed that Sydney and Melbourne are competitive. I mean, cities are, people are competitive. How do you channel that? You know, how do we channel fear in a good way so they're afraid of not being uh, left behind as opposed to other things? How do we channel um, human emotions? <laughs> And humans are competitive, um, and so our cities are, fre- are in a friendly competition. So we're now in over 100 cities—you know, New York City, Chicago, but also um, Nashville and much smaller uh, towns. And, and we, uh, This model works in small towns. Um, there's a whole film about work that we did in a, one small town in the example, that was on air nationally in the United States. Um, but the idea is that if, if you're surrounded by communities that are doing this work and they're seeing economic gain. Um, it's much more likely that you're gonna eventually get on the bus. Um, and so um, that's what's been happening in the us. Uh, so we've just spread we've been spreading virally. Um so like one community, Dayton, Ohio, was a community that was losing population. And Tasmania, we've talked to them about um, having some parallels with Dayton. Um, but but Dayton was losing population until they uh, instituted their welcome Dayton plan and Staff, you know, a lot of staff within the municipal government to help lead um, the Welcome Dayton program. They're now um, gaining population, so they reversed their population decline. And, and business, and, and that's, you know, if you look statistically, it's because of immigrants and refugees. Um, and so Dayton was the first city in Ohio. Uh, now we have nine cities in Ohio small cities, large cities, um, and same thing in Michigan from one community to about 10 communities in Michigan including large cities like Detroit, um, which, are part of the, uh, which are part of our network. Um, and so eventually we're, we're uh, envisioning a time where we get to a tipping point, um, where you know, you're just surrounded, if you're surrounded on all sides by communities that are doing this, eventually you feel like you're, you're being left behind if you're not doing it too. Um, and so eventually it'll come to a point where, where there's a tipping point and, and it just, the dominoes start to fall. And we've seen that. Um, another movement in the United States, the smoking cessation movement um, which it's easier to pass these things here than in the US where the smoking industry has a lot of clout. Um, but uh, the, the group that the, the groups that tried to say, okay, let's not have smoking in bars and restaurants um, in, the US, in the US or in uh, workplaces um, decided to go the bottom up and they went from one community to 4,700 municipalities passing these ordinances. That's 87% of the country covered by um, those ordinances and that's sort of the game plan that we're following. Um, and if we had that, you know, we're in hundred communities, If we had that, that picture on the right there, it would make it much more difficult for um, you know kind of negative negative national things to happen because you have that infrastructure. Um, I'm not saying that we would have prevented Donald Trump, but I, I would say that um, it helps um, to have that blanket of uh, of groups doing you know sort of tilling the soil on the, lo- on the local level, creating that infrastructure and working together. And that's a really important part of what we do and what what we believe um, should happen here um, in Australia is um, actually like the, the communities that are part of our network, what they value most is being part of our network. So like actually getting to connect to all the other communities that are doing this also um, and learning from them. And, and we're starting to connect the dots internationally too. Um, so we're starting to, uh, from here tonight, actually I'm flying to Berlin. Um, Germany is also very interested in our model um, and The German government is paying for an exchange program between our cities, several of our cities, and several of their cities, um, so that we can learn. Because there's a lot of great practices in Germany, so it'll be a two-way learning. um, And the Welcome to Australia group that's uh, hosting Welcome to the the, the Welcome Cities here is actually coming to our conference um, in uh, late late April in in Atlanta, um, and they'll be joined by German cities. They'll be joined by Canadian cities. So it's it's a it's how do you connect everybody to learn how to do this well, um, not like I know how to do it best or you know how to do it best, um, but, but it's a powerful network um, and it's a powerful force for, for change. Um, so I believe that's it, yeah, there's, uh, there's a website um, you can look at. Um, so I, I did want uh, two guest speakers to give uh, very short remarks so we can have that context and then we'll just open it up to questions or uh, you know, conversation or however it goes. Um, so I'd like to start with Khan, um, Pygonis. Um, did I pronounce that right, awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Khan? Awesome, I love So Khan has a long uh, experience and history working on these issues, um, but also working in local government, and he's now um, a formal consultant and on the governing body of the uh, uh, of the Welcoming Cities Initiative. And so Khan's just going to really quickly um, just give a little teeny perspective about it um, from, you know, from the local uh, local mind. So. I'll take a minute or so.
3: Um, I, think, um, I think the value of um, what we're doing now uh, uh, in Australia through this Scanlon Foundation initiative to um, invest in local government uh, um, is going to has, has great potential. Local government. We've got 560 councils across Australia, and many local councils do great work in um, settling new migrants and refugees and uh, great initiatives around um, social cohesion and the like. But what we don't have in Australia, and what we've had very little investment in from federal and state governments, for that matter, is um, working with local government to create a strategic framework and some impetus um, for local government as a sector to uh, uh, work in this space of um, settlement planning, social cohesion, and so on. Um, That sort of partnership, which local government needs as a sector, because while we're strong at the municipal level, when you aggregate up to state peaks in New South Wales or Victoria or nationally, um, local government doesn't have the sort of strength that it has at the municipal level. It is spread very thinly as a national peak and, and, and to some extent as a state peak. And so for local government to be able to respond to Um, uh, Migrant settlement, social cohesion type issues. uh, As a sector, it needs strong partnerships, and we've struggled to find partners for the local government sector. And uh, this investment by the Scanlon Foundation in the Welcoming Cities model um, is the first time, to my knowledge, that we've had a significant investment in local government as a sector. And um, what what we're doing, uh, working in in, in consultation with David's Welcoming. America group, which we're loosely modelling the Australian Welcome I in Cities um, model on, is, um, uh, is has the potential to allow local government uh, as a sector to um, be a player uh, and respond more systemically, more consistently uh, to uh, issues arising around uh, uh, settlement planning, social cohesion, and the like. So. Um, uh, uh, um, I suppose uh, 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 what I see as the value in all of this uh, is um, uh, the, the potential for local government to develop a more systemic, central response
2: uh, to the sorts of issues we're all been involved in. I think that's all I'm saying. You, uh, that. Um, and one more special guest, all for the same time, <laughs> <laughs> um, is Dr. Seb uh, um who is the uh,
1: Professor the University of Sydney, the director of the um, University of Western
2: Sydney, um, Australian mm-hmm. Human Rights... Wait, uh, oh, come on, come on. director of the University of Western Sydney, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right,
4: yeah. Um, and, also, and also the president of the Australian Council for uh, Human Rights Education, um, so uh, thank yeah, you. Thank you very <laughs> much. It's quite much to do with refugees when I was Human Rights Commissioner in the but in terms of settlement, there are the number of models around the world. Looking at Australia, we basically have a federal model, a central model, which links very well to securing this, and you are part of it. Uh, but it doesn't involve very much local government. I just in Europe, uh, addressing addressing conference on refugees and multiculturalism, and uh, listened to a very interesting paper about Poland, where basically all settlement Local government, and they are
1: getting quite a number of people coming from Ukraine, but also quite a number of ex-Poles who were in the 19th century because of various revolutions and insurrections, sent to Siberia, coming back now without Polish language, and local communities are working
4: in terms of provisions and uh, with accommodation, initial settlement, work, access to community, and the model works very well. But in terms of Australia, I worked in South Australia for five years where I was in charge of development of regional settlement program. We managed specialty from federal government where we could select our migrants for South Australia. It went okay, they were given jobs, they were given accommodation. The issue is that after a short time, vast majority of them was leaving for bigger cities, either for better employment or opportunities, or simply they had families or communities in sydney melbourne and they land away from other life or from other cities of south australia so in a way challenge
2: to your program that is in australia context is how you anchor people so they will become a permanent picture of local economy and local community so thank you, thank you. so now uh, i want to open up to questions but also to if you have
1: experience of how this is happening at the local level here we're happy to have uh comments or questions. So I just
2: want to open it up. I'm looking at the first one now right comments
0: since I 23
5: years. Can
2: you introduce who you are? Oh I'm
0: sorry I'm Margie Peters. Um I used to work in Washington for 23 years and I've come retired an here and I'm um volunteering for these, uh, so was, the Asylum oh. Seekers. Asylum Seekers but I noticed a big difference here in the sense that over there, there seems to be so much more assimilation,
5: Whereas I don't see that here. of the um, So I feel that there is a need on the
2: local level yeah. to really get involved. It's interesting. Um, I, 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 there's definitely a phenomenon happening around the world. It's really happening in the United States too. Um, but the people in not where. It might be a little more ethnically kind of like uh, uh, segregated, is a loaded word, but you know what I mean. Um, and I have, I have seen, I've noticed the difference between Melbourne and Sydney in that way, but it depends on the US too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that uh, communities where that's happening in the US have come to us. Um, and if you, if you create opportunities um, you know, for connecting to the broader community. It tends to help people move out, uh, and, and you know, everybody comes to a, a lot of people come to a community in the first generation. Um, the question is, are they staying in that zone in the second generation, or the third generation? But the third generation might be problematic. Um, but, I'm not but using Washington as an example. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah not
1: not a-
5: More networks, competitive advantage, etc. But what are some of the actual um, examples uh, in terms of successful examples of being welcoming on on the grassroots level, So whether they're projects, whether you you mentioned business, for example, is one way. So could you just expand a little bit on
2: that? So examples of where this is where the welcoming has. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So
5: welcoming as a kind of like a, a framework, but then actually. So how much people participated in actually being more welcoming? What's the criteria? What is what is a successful welcoming? Life? Culturally or institutionally? Um, probably more. I think institutionally. I think I, in terms of, as I said, examples as to how I'm a business. I want to be more welcoming. What is it that I need to be doing to sort of satisfy that? Or am I, you know, creating projects for refugees that <coughs> therefore, uh, you know, are considered welcoming?
2: Yeah lots of examples. um honestly, like we, we started working with municipal governments and, and working with the entire communities, and working on the institutional welcoming in two thousand twelve. And the first initiative, you
1: know, national was two thousand six, but welcome dating was two thousand eleven. And so there's still <coughs> uh, the, the results are still starting
2: to just uh, starting to trickle in on, on, you know, exactly how it's playing out and it's part of you know, all, all other um, But
1: there's the example of uh, local government. I get a local government example, but
2: there, there are other things. I, I, local. Right now local government is more, <coughs> more leading the charge because in the United States on the local level there wasn't much of an infrastructure even for that. So you got to start there often and then move into okay, so what can all businesses do? Um, but like National for example, um, they created a program called which is a, uh, part of their sort of larger welcoming frame, um, but any you know any immigrant refugee in Nashville can participate in it, and it's um, it's a program uh, that's like a leadership development program, basically. Um, but when when people and it's in the community, but it all the different agencies of the government um, to the community and talk to the people who are part of that program, um, so you can understand how the community works better. Politicians come kind of explain like how you can get involved in the political process, and so. A program like that um, is helpful in that it, that's I mean, not trying to make cash billions more welcoming; it's trying to introduce the, the, the immigrant community. But it's resulted, you know, in more people in the immigrant community becoming involved in boards and commissions, but also even running for office. Um, and so, yeah, that's there's, there's lots of examples of the of municipal government more than the other. Like, I mean, right now, a big business role is just building the. Support to actually make it happen, um, and, and so an example of that is in Atlanta. Um, you know, whatever your opinions are about the Coke Company, um, it's, it's a big industry, it's a big company, in, in Atlanta. Um, it's founded in Atlanta, still based there. And, and Coke understood that. Yeah, I mean, the Georgia legislature um, was passing some bills that were sort of, that were not very good on immigration, for um, immigrant and so. That was a problem for the brand of Atlanta, and they needed to be able to attract you know, people from around the world to cope. Um, and so for them, they're like, Well, of course, we need to support Welcoming Atlanta because um, we need to make sure that Atlanta's positioned as a global city and the welcoming city. So um, later on, we'd like to get Coke to start looking at their workplace policies, and, and, and they actually, part of the Welcoming Atlanta plan, called for, because um, we're doing, I, I should have mentioned this. We're developing certification for communities, uh, like credentialing, um, so you can. Uh, you know, it's got to be flexible credentialing because every community is different. But so that it's not just you know we're welcoming, but this is what you need to do to be welcoming. And so that that credentialing will, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a long process to get there because you have to build the body of everybody uh, in the field, really. Um, but that will help. In, in Atlanta, they talk about uh, in, the, in the plan, also doing certification for businesses. Uh, and we'd like to see certification for schools eventually as well, around um, but if you can prove that there's a value proposition, you know, that the school's going to have better outcomes or whatever the, you know, that, that value proposition the corporations to be able to more people, then you can, then the certification is, is a no-brainer. And, and then, they, then they're they going to do it. Um, We're funded primarily, uh, there's a lot more um, foundations, uh, private foundations in the United States uh, than anywhere else in the world, and certainly of in Australia, and so what we do, we get a lot of of our funding from private foundations, um, and and with different sort of uh, desires, like there's foundations that are interested in social cohesion, but others that are interested in just like uh, supporting innovations in cities, or even social entrepreneurship funders, you so, um, but also, we get money from the federal government. Um, we get some money um,
1: from businesses, from mm-hmm. individuals, so, um, yeah. you so. organization? Yes. Yeah. Do you have programs that running institutions
6: like schools universities?
2: Um, not yet. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've been approached by universities, too, as this as growing diversity is coming into international students at universities. There's also, we I mean, I don't the There can be
1: challenges people can, um, from other countries.
2: Like in the United States, there's been a large influx of um, Chinese international students into universities so and that's helping financially, but those students aren't necessarily always integrating as much. And so but, but that's not I mean, that's a two way street why that might be happening. So how do you how do you build a walking institution, how do you create the, the walking institutions and the conversations and what else what else do you do to kinda get of past that. So yeah, work on but right now right now we can work with Definitely work with schools, for example, because you can't work in a community and not work in schools. It's the epicenter of the community. Um, It's where immigrant integration happens more than anywhere else. And so schools are always on the
1: planning committees for welcoming,
2: welcoming. and um, you can't be a welcoming city if you're not focused on making sure your schools are inclusive. But schools sort of Beneficiaries of your program
1: in Nashville, and really, what I'm trying to find out is: Are you focusing on individuals, on the individual com- uh, the families, or are you looking at
4: the
2: whole groups of people coming from particular countries or um, backgrounds? It's we're definitely. I mean, yeah, people ask me that. Like, do we? When I say what I do, they go, "Okay, so you resettle refugees, uh, individual refugees, but that's not that's not our goal." Um, and and and. For example, there were, there were there were plenty of groups that were doing the individual services, but they were you working know, on the refugee groups were weren't collaborating with the local government, wasn't collaborating even with the groups that were working with the immigrants, um, and so we're trying to create that web of support for so that you can see better outcomes for whole groups, not not for not just for one two three. three. Uh, does that make sense? Like, we'd like to see better outcomes. For
4: See, my question resulted from the person mentioned who resided in Washington, D.C., and mentioned the assimilation work. And in a way, if you take one family or one person, it would be much easier to incorporate that person into a community. If you take a larger community, say 50 families,
2: it would be totally different social mechanisms. And in a way, it's what I'm interested in, you know, how you manage that? Yeah, I mean, like that's best we could talk for three days about that. I mean, I mean you're driving to the airport, so that's <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, I would say that we're we're building the capacity of the organizations that are working with you know now. The city is supporting. The city didn't have Atlanta, for example, didn't have an office of urban affairs before this work, and they didn't they were just kind of doing it ad hoc. And so the organizations that are doing the individual services now are getting more support from the city, more support from the So in a way, we're I understand the only and it's I, mean, I look forward to talking about it more. <laughs> that's the Um yeah, I just, let's let's let let's should. let somebody put that in an asked one and then we'll go back to you. <laughs> the the initiatives
3: or programmes run in those um uh, particular cities or local governments, are they are they applying for funding to develop those projects or is, is it auspiced by welcoming 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 organisation? Is it through you, or do they have the opportunity to apply? You're, you're guiding them through that, and they get that funding, and they, therefore they can continue a
2: service throughout. Yeah, so, all the service organizations? Particularly where you started from, Nashville, and currently, is that how it's working? Um, so, it's, you know, yeah, we're not providing funding to the, the, the collaboratives. It's, it's very Like in Atlanta, the Atlanta Community Foundation is on the planning committee. They have connections to all sorts of other funders, and so the idea is, how can the local community, um, how can the local community fund what you know, If you're going to create this this web of welcoming, and uh, organizations play a role in that. How can the city government fund that more strategically better? How can community foundations, and other foundations uh, fund that better? So our job is to help, and and we also help them.
1: It wasn't just applying the flying of planes where they were using, um, but that they um, that, that what they're trying to do is leverage federal resources,
2: not you know federal resources to support these local communities. And so we're trying to sort of you know buy out some money of. Or-
0: Second question related to
1: that is how did you
0: um was there a challenge and how did you get the funding from the federal government or get them to
2: see what you were doing? Are um so uh Part of the, the reason why the refugee settlement, um, the Office of Refugee Settlement is the main, our main funder the federal government, um, and they were very focused on the seed-based approach. But then all of a sudden, there were communities that were starting to have a backlash. Not just not just Nashville, all you know, in different pockets of the U.S. They, you know, they were like, we're, we're only trained to help our service providers provide services, but you know, those services are only really going to go so far. People Found out about the work that we did through a bunch of different uh, networks, but we're the only one that did that. Um, and we had worked with other entities, we had the legitimacy, and so they said, let's make you, a, you know, have this technical assistance grant, um, provider grant, sort of official welcoming I mean, technical assistance provider, um, for the office of settlement. So that's that, that, that's just one story, um, but, but yeah. on soil, if you could have the full infrastructure, the economic development, all these things, is just starting to click. Um, and was there another question to you? Well, that
1: was even you know, the challenge to get where I can find Yeah, yeah, that was easy.
2: At the time when 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 the things were going really south uh, really badly, um, and and politicians were starting to um, really move in, um, we realized that we we, if you think of a community as being on a welcoming spectrum, so there's a community that might be fearful hostile, tolerant, and actively welcoming. And depending on where you're Nashville is on the far side of the hostel. Um, (laughs) And when you're in that environment, and by the way, tolerant. was on the side, and so the municipal government frankly wasn't ready right to work. It was too toxic in the environment. They didn't really want to talk to us that much. Um, or, or, or they weren't ready to, they want, they talked to us, and some of the members of the council were on that welcoming committee, but they weren't ready to really put everything forward. And so that was why that pursuing community's work, the three-pronged approach that I talked about before, was so important because we built such a strong coalition of people and, and started to change the, the culture of the community so that once we had gotten That's often the case. If it's a really toxic environment, you can't pretend that you can just move forward in the same way as if it's a place that's kind of doing really well. Does that answer your question? Um, the other language, so Sorry, are you finding that as
1: your
6: community grow growing, you get more and more instances where this is more and more successful? Are you finding that negative language is changing to a much more positive? Effect? And then, if so, what kind do you think that will branch up as high as changing? The And a lot of
1: uh, you know, groups that are, I mean, first of all, that, that slide that I showed at the tipping
2: point, like if you had all those, if you, if you really were covering the entire nation and wealthy communities that were, um, with, yeah. that would, that would be an infrastructure. Oh, i so. when bad Things happen, but also it can move forward, yeah, it can start to move forward policy agenda. And a lot of our groups like are doing that on the state level now. Like there's enough, like in Ohio and Michigan, there's not groups on the local level, but that now they're moving Governor of Michigan, who's Republican, is, is trying to position Michigan as the most welcoming state in the country. And has all mm-hmm. these programs, so it's, it's filtering its way out. Um, but yeah, as far as the narrative, the message piece, um, it's a, it's a, the, the idea that cities are competing with each other to be welcoming. Like the underlying message there is that immigrants and refugees are an asset, um, and that cities are actually willing to compete for that asset. And that, that's a powerful message. It's very different. You shall not be named. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, like that, that message is that foreigners are a threat and that they're a liability. Um, and so,
1: a lot. Yeah, as as you start to work towards the national agenda to be able to say, well, actually, in real communities,
2: this isn't just theoretical. in Real communities. You know, this community has gained this much. So look, it's a lie. an aspect. This is this is this is good for our country. So it, it does help you to do it the national narrative, and it has, especially in the Rust Belt. I would say where we have the largest concentration has started to change the, the narrative of the young know, general in that region, so, yeah. Violet and i Thank university. you for it, yeah, I've been, I've been not remembering the mention
6: thank you. An organization called Settlement Service International that uh, sells refugees, in South the Um Sorry, we came in a bit late, but um, my understanding for what you're saying, um, I had two or three questions around Firstly, uh, are you going to be evaluating the program or have you evaluated it? Um, I ask that because uh, what we see, for example, in New South Wales more recently, and I think you know, those in the room who uh, understand you know, the politics around refugee and asylum seekers in Australia, I guess it's in Europe, is that it's a very political area. And um, once politicians at all levels of government are involved, uh, quite often the agenda can be skewed. And in in New South Wales, we have leadership at the state level that is very engaged and very keen um, uh, to um, to look at integration as a two-way thing. to actually saying, you know, we need to make some systemic changes. Um, and my I guess my concern is, Australia has a very vibrant civil society. A lot of NGOs, um, a lot of um, schools and uh, unions and, and faith organisations come together and play very important, long welcoming. And They do that every day, many different ways, and that quite often is not valued or not. What happens at the community level does not match the narrative, which is very negative. So, how how do you ensure that um, you know through local government that uh, the best interests of community and um, and and the best partnerships are coordinated and engaged? Because I think a lot of it has to do with coordination of things that are already happening and
2: then going on. Yeah. I gotta remember to answer the evaluation part, but I'll start with this first part. Um, Yeah, I I mean, in in general, civil society organizations really like this work um, and don't, yeah, it it, it adds value to them. And I I gave the example of Atlanta where all these different groups were doing individual work, but they weren't working together. um, And so this was not, and and sometimes kind of messaging in ways that weren't helpful for each other. Um, But when the Come to the table and help us figure out how to do that. They, they felt empowered by that, and they were, and they, and they knew because they're already doing it. But it wasn't, as, wasn't as coordinated. It wasn't um, connecting to these other institutions. So they, they value. In general, it's, I can not think of any network groups having seen it as a value add, and it's bringing in more, it brings in more resources. It, it, it lifts up their stories of success. Um, so yeah, that's, and, 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 you know that has to be done um, with the work here too. Come to a new community. You don't know, say we know how to do this. Like do this. You, you bring people together and say we know you know how to do this. You know you've been doing this. Um, Want to do it? Like you we know, create a plan together to do it even more unified. Even more unified way. Um, around evaluation, um, I mean certification and standards itself is a is a form of evaluation. If you, if you create
1: good enough standards and,
2: and the city has to get to a certain point to be certified and you know, so that's one level of it, and one value about, another value of the the standards is um, right now we do evaluation of individual communities. Um, It's hard to evaluate the group as a whole because there's no standard that says what welcoming is, and so once people are kind of more on the same page about what it means, even though, you know, we have a framework, so it's not that they're on a totally different page, but it'll be easier to do a a field-wide evaluation of the work. Um, But already, In order to get the support locally that maybe they have to do it so they're developing, they're helping us develop it. Um, but it's really important obviously, here as well. Last chance. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Well, look, David, thank you so much for such an engaging um, speech, or well, not speech, so much as interaction with the audience and, and the insights that you shared with us. Um, when I heard David speak in Davos, I was struck by just how positive the message it was that he was presenting I think so often when we were working in this area, I should probably say particularly in Australia, but we know what the uh, political environment is like in Australia, it's all too easy to, to be quite despairing about uh, the, the outlook, and you know, I think what David is yeah. showing is that communities... Actually, make the day-to-day life of immigrants and refugees a little better, and hopefully over time that does translate
2: into more structural
0: change. So, David, thank you very, very
1: much. Actually, one
2: more thing, um, yeah. which is that if you, if you want to um, connect to the welcoming uh, Australia work, um, should, we, should we have them contact with you, or the people are- uh, Yes, yeah. people can contact me.
3: But, but I think leave is probably yeah. uh, actually there's a welcoming.
2: Um, the Welcoming Cities Australia website now.
3: Um, I should have up, yeah, I'll to the link. Google
2: um, yeah. knows it already. Um, but um, but yeah, you can sign up to, to get involved through the website
3: now. Yeah. So uh, Perhaps we should just clarify that um, while Scandalin Foundation is um, uh, uh, investing in this initiative, uh, they're doing it primarily through the organisation that David mentioned, which is Welcome to Australia. And um, they recently appointed a, a national project manager, Ali Mali, based in um, based in, uh, in Brisbane. And I think he would be probably the, first, the best first point of contact for anyone wanting to uh, find out more. But I'm very happy to facilitate being um, uh, introducing people or,
2: or, or, or connecting with, uh, with Ali. And yeah, if nothing else, you can go to the to Australia.
0: are yes. faster because you guys are more you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, One final housekeeping note so that they can edit this out is that we've actually been recording this event. So if anybody did ask a question, we'd prefer not to have that. Please just let and, um, and me Otherwise, thank you so much for coming. And
1: thank you, David. Thank you.